Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast, code acast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 53124 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. A brand new style has arrived at Yumiko. The Camilla is a stunning high neck Leo, boasting an open wrap back and front mesh chest panel. This latest creation by Yumiko Takashima has more modern flair for a standout look, and for this month only, enjoy a 15% off introductory rate on all ready-to-wear and custom orders. Yumiko is also excited to continue its virtual shopping events through Instagram Live. Two hosts showcase exclusive in-store options available to ship immediately with different promotions offered each session. All three regions, Berlin, Tokyo, and New York City, have scheduled events for September, and if you haven't tuned in yet, be sure to check them out. Stay connected for new releases, events, and all things Yumiko at yumiko.com and at @yumiko on Instagram. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro and I'm Michael Breeden and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week we chat with American Ballet Theater's newest soloist dancer, Gabe Stone Shayer. Gabe was born in Philadelphia where he began his dance training. At 14, he began training full-time at the Rock School for Dance Education before going on to move to Russia to continue his studies at the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in Moscow. Shire is the first African American male to graduate from the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in its nearly 250-year history. Gabe joined ABT Studio Company in September 2011, the main company as an apprentice in April 2012, and the Corps de Ballet in November 2012. Just this month, he was promoted to soloist. We talk with Gabe about his training, his time at the Bolshoi Ballet Academy, how he came to ABT. what his promotion was like and some of the incredible projects that he's been working on while the company is on hiatus due to covid. So Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Um it, it's a great opportunity for us to talk to you about all the exciting things happening in your life right now, especially getting promoted in the middle of a pandemic. It's pretty <laughs> pretty special. Um but we'll yeah. get to that. in a second um we would just want to start with you the way we always do with our guests which is just to sort of talk a little bit about how you first 
um, became involved in and, and fell in love with dance and more specifically ballet. Yes. So um, I started dancing or I was very hyperactive as a young child, as my mom says. And um, <laughs> my grandmother um, was from Ghana. So she would speak on the phone in her language, which is Ga, um, mm-hmm. to her relatives. And I, at age uh, probably one, but definitely I have distant memories of two and three where I would kind of dance around and wiggle around her as she, uh, as she spoke. Cause there's, it's kind of a melodic language. Um, so I danced to the cadence of her speaking. And then um, I think from the hyperactivity, my mom was like, do you want to like do something, do a class, whatever. Do? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I did mommy and me, I did creative movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was six, uh, is when I decided I'd become a dancer. Um, <laughs> That's very as a early. career. I love it. <laughs> as my career choice time. Yeah, no, I, uh, I had a, a journal entry, um, kindergarten journal entry where I wrote the best day of my life was when I wanted to become a dancer for the rest of my life. Um, however That's legible okay. it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's really when I um, decided, obviously I didn't know the reality of what a a dance career was. So my other dream and hobby was to cook. So I was like, I'll be a chef in the day and then, (laughs) and a dancer at night, you know, how like kids want to be in the fire Mm -hmm. truck. That was, that was my fire truck cooking and dancing. That's so funny. I have to feel like if you were that aware at six that you wanted to become a professional dancer, you must've had training that, allowed you to believe that was possible? Because I think a lot of dancers at that age, they're just still doing it just for fun. So what was that early training like? And how did they kind of instill that in your mind? So I think it was a combination of things. Philadelphia is, um, I don't know if people know, but it's really thriving city in terms of the arts community. Mm -hmm. And at a very, very young age, I was exposed to so much performance art. And I mean that, um, with like literal performance art and forming um, mm-hmm. like dances, ballets, modern companies. So I would, I would see performances quite frequently. And so I, I saw that format pretty early on. It wasn't like, Oh, once a year you go to the Nutcracker, I want to be in a tutu. It was, it was, I saw a huge range from, from um, Gaga um, technique and this, mm-hmm. this company called Roni, uh, Koresh dance company mm-hmm. to Pennsylvania ballet and the Bolshoi ballet as well, who, would, who, who came to Philadelphia when I was pretty young as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I think putting it together was a bit easier. I wasn't kind of in the suburbs just, Right. taking one one class a week yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah going to the going to the live theater is so important <laughs> it definitely is yeah yeah so uh, at what point did you um start to train pretty seriously in, in ballet so i i mean from six i was pretty serious but um <laughs> uh when i was about eight or nine um was when my mom i was doing everything i was doing modern i was doing uh, I didn't, I never did tap, but I was doing jazz and ballet. And my mom was like, you know, um, from my knowledge, I think you should nail ballet because mm-hmm. that's the base and then you can do anything you want. Um, and so I started with a very strict, uh, hardcore Russian teacher when I was about nine, mm-hmm. um, and really fell in love with, uh, ballet then, um, and knew that this, that was something that I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was a pretty quick transition. I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and like, as my mind evolved, I was like, Oh, like you, you dancers go to Juilliard or do you do this or you do that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think 
at that moment at nine, when I, when I stepped into that classroom with this strict Russian teacher, I was like, Oh, I'm doing ballet. Uh (laughs) So that, that discipline must have, must have appealed to you then, or was it something that kind of me turned you off or were you like, Oh, I love this. This is so like rigorous and exactly what I want. Well, I, I loved structure. Um, uh-huh. in general, um, which I don't know if a lot of kids can say or if I could have articulated back then, but I did. I loved something about the the structure of it and the rep- the repetition mm-hmm. um, to perfect something. So that was something that drew me to um, the rigor of going through that training. And then on top of it, I, I loved the the uh, the vocabulary in general, the carriage and the um, elegance in in ballet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eventually that would lead you to train at the Bolshoi Academy. How, how did that decision come about? Obviously, you had an affinity, affinity for the Russian training that you were experiencing from the age nine. But what led you to go to the ultimate? You know, how, how did that transpire? Mecca. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went home. No, um, <laughs> it was, you know, Russian, as I said, Russian ballet was kind of my, was my base for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of, and um, I think at a young age, I was used to what people feel is too harsh, um, mm-hmm. training wise, and, and very strict and rigorous. Um, so I did a, I did the summer intensives in New York, where they'd fly over the, the teachers from the Bolshoi school. Mm-hmm. And the first year um, was to this day the last year that the director actually came for the last week and for the performance, and she came and invited me. Um, to come to the school on scholarship. And, and so um, I had a few other scholarship offers through the through Youth America Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And we were leaning towards some other things, but then I, I just, I, I knew I had to go to Russia. And my mom, um, as, as scared as she was, agreed. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So you mentioned Youth America Grand Prix. Tell us a little bit about, you had an extensive experience um, in, with competitions. How did you first get started with that? And obviously it was very useful for you. Why did you uh, decide to continue and make sure that that was a part of your trajectory as a dancer? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I think it's the ultimate form of exposure. Um, people, people hate on competitions. Um, and I, I understand why, you know, ballet is subjective, but at the end of the day, um, there's no other place that you'd be able to be seen by that many company and, and school directors. Mm-hmm. Um, if it weren't for YGP, I don't know if I would, um, have the network that I have. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be in the places that I'd be in that I'm in right now. So, um, yeah, I, it was an amazing performance opportunity. It was, mm-hmm. um, great to gain the perspective of, of what was out there and, and really see what the international world of ballet uh, looked like. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the most thorough answer I feel like we've ever gotten. I, yeah. I, I, people, when people come talk, when people talk about competitions, when competitions come up, I feel like it's always just like, yeah, it was great to perform, and you get used to performing. But the practicality of just like it, you get you get put on the map with a lot of different places in a mm-hmm. way that you wouldn't have been seen. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Yeah, yeah. that's a great idea. And I think too, it's funny because. I, I used to be a competition hater, um, <laughs> probably because I never did them. Um, but it's as we've talked to people on this podcast and the people who do competitions, I feel like are always the people who end up being like the most fearless on stage. And I think it comes from that like pressure of performing when you're young, when it's not, you know, as scary as it is when you get older. So do you find that that's helped a lot with your 
performing maybe anxiety maybe you don't have any because of that <laughs> I mean definitely I you know I feel for and empathize for people who who went through competitions from smaller schools I was very fortunate to be at the rock school at that moment mm-hmm. um for those for those two years that, or three years that I uh, competed mm-hmm. and we really had it was a school of of amazing crazy talented dancers and um, not only were we, you know, in competition with each other, healthy competition, but we were, everyone was so supportive. And so, uh, I learned from that experience to be fearless and, um, and also that everything that we practice in the studio comes to fruition on stage and there's not, you know, it's not worth, uh, crying over when and if something goes wrong. Not to say that obviously, of course, if something goes wrong and things happen on stage and you're, you're not your best, you're not happy about it, but. Um, to not give give it so much value and and just realize that you need to do all the work in the studio for the stage to to work out. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Let, let's go back and talk about your experience at the Bolshoi for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. How long were you there for? I was there for two and a half years, mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't uh, consistent. So the first time I went, I went for a few months um, mm-hmm. after I was invited after the summer intensive. Then I did the summer again and then went um, for the full year, um, whatever year that was. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, I went back again and then I joined the studio company in ABT. So, mm-hmm. But after that, I'd, I'd visit uh, my teacher um, every year for at least mm-hmm. three weeks and train with him um, as well as take class with the Bolshoi Ballet. Um, just to keep my, my Russian fine tuning in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. how, how did you find things culturally? You know, like I feel ballet is a somewhat universal language. So when you're in the studio, I'm sure it's, it's fine and you, you clearly like to work. So that's one thing, but then outside of the studio, what were things like for you? Like how, um, yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I did feel like I was the only black person in the country, um, at some points, <laughs> which was, which mm-hmm. was, um, a funny it was funny to me. Um, you know, people hate on Russia for being racist, but it's, I feel like it is, there's racism everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, the racism is a bit different. I think it's more naive than, than blatantly hating. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like to think that I trained or, um, educated a generation of Russians from the school, um, in real, in realizing that it was just my skin tone, not who I was. And, Mm -hmm. um, on the street, um, kind of going back, just to put it in, in perspective, um, the Bolshoi Ballet is on their money. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, people are like, oh, Russian ballet is like part of the culture, but you don't realize yeah. that it's like, so it's such a big deal. So it, it started mm-hmm. getting to the point where, because I'd only be, you know, around the school and around the theater um, for the most, for most of my time in Russia, people knew me. And would refer to me as the American at the Bolshoi school mm-hmm. or, or, or that scape. Or, um, so that was, that was kind of cool. It was like wow. a minor taste of, of celebrity. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, the Bolshoi stars are on TV just as, many, uh, just as much as football stars are here in, in America. So mm-hmm. um, it's very much a revered thing. And um, maybe I was in a, in a cultural bubble, but I, I had nothing but good experiences. Mm-hmm. What about language? I always find that spe- specifically very interesting. How did you learn some Russian? How fluent are you? <laughs> Do you still practice? So <laughs> I speak, read, write in Russian fluently. Um, wow. 
I mean, so I was fierce. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was there. It's funny because it's changed so much since I've since I lived there. Mm-hmm. But when I lived there, it seemed like, or it was just after the Soviet period, and so um, the only Western influence they had was McDonald's, Fridays, and Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And so um, the rest of it was just like Russian stores and Russian uh, places, and like right. barely any high end anything. So. Right. Um, I'd go to a supermarket <laughs> and I mean, I was like, I, I, I reverted to like toddler speech. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't communicate. And I, right. the person at the cash register would say something to me and I'd just kind of like shrug and they would just like cross their arms until I answered or pointed. So mm-hmm. I was, I was really forced to learn it. And I'm actually thankful for that because, um, I, I feel like I have a pretty good mastery of the language in terms of communicating and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I, I don't think I can talk about science um, and maybe <laughs> I can talk a little bit about po- politics, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to be able to speak Russian and yes, I do practice. Yeah. Right. Was that something that you were, you know, in between classes or after you know, working all day, did you have to get a tutor or like some other sort of training program for that? So for the foreign students, they would have morning Russian classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, when you got to a point, sometimes they would just transfer you over into the Russian academics um, if you spoke well enough. And so I kind of teetered that at the very beginning. Um, I learned pretty quickly um, because I had to and because I, I, I love languages. I love mm-hmm. learning languages. I love uh, communicating and, and uh, learning about cultures. Um, so I, I really, really buckled down. Um, I mean, my first night in Russia, it was, I, it was a Saturday, thank God. So I had one class and then I had a day off, um, just to get a taste. And I, I went out with the Russian guys, um, mm-hmm. and just like threw myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun. How old were you at this time? When I first went, I was 14. Wow. So you so okay. you also needed to be doing academics then in like mm-hmm. high school. So you were doing all of that but in Russian and in their Russian program. Well, so I in eighth grade, I left this out. In eighth grade I, I left halfway through um I was going to the rock school when I was in mm-hmm. middle school and then I, mm-hmm. I left um middle school to go into cyber schooling um so that I could dance all day. More. Right. Um and then I transitioned into high school online as well. So I, I was going through that while I was in Russia, but then I, I finished kind of early. So I didn't mm-hmm. have that much work to do, which is why they started letting me do some of the Russian academics, which mm-hmm. was interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm, I was curious, you say you had a love for languages. Um, did, did you speak other languages at that point? Were you? Mm, no. Well, so I, I spoke... Um, I understood like some words in, in Ga, in, in Ga, the Ghanaian right, language. Okay. But um, other than that, just a lot of, a little bit of languages. Mm-hmm. Did that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of snippets of languages, mm-hmm. which, which continued into, into the Bolshoi, um, into my Bolshoi time because there's sure. so many international students from all over Europe mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, know how to it's i joke i know how to say good night in like 20 languages right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so then how did the offer to join uh, abt studio company come about so um i i have one of those birthdays that uh, this sounds random but you'll we'll get there um i have one of those <laughs> i have one of those birthdays where um in school you're either um 
the youngest one or the oldest one right. because it's in it's in October. The cutoff is weird. I was gonna say um, was it September October? Yeah, 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 yeah. Those two. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, for Bolshoi's, uh, in Bolshoi, I was a year younger than everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me in the older class, and so they were like, "Oh, you can." You, I graduated um, mm-hmm. with my class, and then they were like, "Oh, you can come back for a year." And I was like, "Oh, um, okay. What do I do now? The summer?" So essentially just called up ABT and was like, Hey, can I come to the summer intensive? Uh, uh-huh. Franco DeVita had uh-huh. scouted me during something before and I went on scholarship and then uh, Kevin McKenzie taught a few classes. And then before I knew it, they offered me studio company. Um, and I was like, Oh, this wasn't part of the plan, but mm-hmm. this sounds great. So, right. so did you have I to go back. back to Russia and like move all your stuff? <laughs> no, I had to get it sent from all my friends. Uh-oh. That makes more sense. Then. And they definitely <laughs> kept a few scarves that I'm mad about. How but okay. dare they? I know. My favorite cashmere <laughs> scarf. <laughs> so, but was that um, like in uh, thinking of a long-term career plan, was that something that you were interested in or had you wanted to stay in Russia? So I never... Uh, I never thought I'd be dancing in America, honestly. And yeah, it's funny. And and I feel like um, I've said this in another interview, but now I'm dissecting it and capsulizing it. Um, (laughs) I, you know, long story short, I never really thought of my skin tone that much. Um, And at a young age, I come from a very mixed background. Mom is blonde, white, and blue-eyed. And yeah. Mm. Um, So I guess I saw representation at a young age in Costa Costa um, at the Royal Ballet. I saw how seamlessly he played princely roles as well as the other roles. Mm-hmm. And I think subconsciously uh, I had paved my own career path um, in Europe. And, mm-hmm. and I, was, I was pretty set on um, going to Royal or staying in Russia. I definitely would have mm-hmm. stayed in Russia. Sure. Um, yeah, I know it sounds weird, but love it there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone always cringes when they say that. Um, uh, yeah, so I thought I was going to stay in Europe and, and um, ABT kind of surprised me. And mm-hmm. um, even while I was doing the summer intensive, I was like, oh, you know, whatever, I'm going to go back to Europe soon. Um, so that so it just kind of fell into my lap, which is right. a happy, happy coincidence or mm-hmm. happy mistake. <laughs> We will return to Conversations on Dance in a moment, but first, we want to introduce you to the newest venture from choreographer and friend of the pod, Trey McIntyre. Trey has put together an innovative way to access new dance films created by world-class artists via Patreon. Welcome to Flatpak. Flatpak is an online subscription service that gives viewers access to one-of-a-kind original dance works created by dance makers from all around the world. Access to these works is exclusive to Flatpak's Patreon platform. Each month, subscribers to Flatpak's Patreon page will get access to two world premiere dance films every other Friday night, as well as immersive behind-the-scenes content. You can join now for as little as $1 per film by visiting fltpk.com or clicking the link in the description of this episode. Money raised for each film goes directly to the artists involved in the creation of the film. If you want to hear more, listen to our most recent interview with Trey in episode 194, where he tells us how this idea came about and his overall vision for the platform. So, you know, obviously you had those kinds of ideas, um, like you wanted to be in Europe or at the Bolshoi, 
And you got your contract at American Valley Theater. Was there a moment where you were still kind of like testing things out or was it a sort of like love at first performance situation at ABT? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, was, I was, it was funny because I, so I was in studio company for about four months before I, or four or five months before I was uh, brought into the company. Uh-huh. And I was, I mean, I, my base again was Russian and then I just came from the motherland um, so I was just so extra Vaganova, it's not even funny. Ah. And and I was just, I was not, it was reverse culture shock, if we can put it that way, or it was right. just culture shock because, mm-hmm. um, you know, spent my formative teen years in Russia um, and essentially was Russian in that way. And, and balletically, my perspective was this is the right way and the only way because that's right. the way they paint it to you. Mm-hmm. And so anything else, I was like, what is this stuff? Um, mm-hmm. what, are we, what are we doing? Like, why am I like <laughs> tilting my head and opening my hands like this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to like stay here for a little bit and then peace out. Um, oh, funny. And then, well, that was studio company. And then I joined the company and I was like, mm-hmm. all right, like this is fine. And Alexei Rotmansky was there um, and he, you know, took me under his wing almost immediately. I mean, I joined in April went through my first spring season with ABT. And then that fall, I was already third cast for Ivan Vasiliev and Daniil Simkin in Ratmansky's Trostakovich trilogy. So I, I was like, okay, um, this is going to keep me here, being, being featured, Alexi really doting on me and, and believing me and pushing me and coaching me. Um, and, you know, essentially that's what I wanted out of my dance career um, mm-hmm. anyway. At Bolshoi, the format very different than ABT and other companies is, is uh, you join the company and you have a coach immediately. Um, They, they choose you and, Mm -hmm. and um, you can take any class you want, but you, you usually are just like Bolshoi school in a class of uh, eight to 12 dancers um, working on whatever that's specific to you. And then you can also ask them to coach you on a variation and show it to the director. It's a, it's a very different system. So, um, I joined ABT and, and found that in Alexi um, and kind of was like, all right, I guess I know it's not the same format, but I have him, so I will stay. Mm-hmm. Do you practice your Russian with Ratmansky? Um, I don't as often as you'd think, but whenever, <laughs> whenever he wants to say something a little harsher to me, he'll say it in Russian. <laughs> and I'm just like... <laughs> That's yeah. funny. <laughs> so, I mean, outside of Alexi as well, obviously you built a home at ABT. What are some of the things that um, really helped like solidify your status and, um, and the status of the company as your, as your home? I think it's, um, I mean, again, Alexi, um, mm-hmm. he put me, he put me on the map. It's, it's really easy in ABT um, as you're starting off and you're kind of, thrown to the wolves and thrown into this mm-hmm. machine to, to get lost and try to find your bearings for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had Alexi immediately kind of um, hone, hone in on, on helping me navigate uh, being in the company and, and featuring me. And, and so I think I felt that responsibility of, of um, representing where I was from technically and, and right. what I wanted to be doing um, in terms of roles and ballets. Um, so I didn't really have a floating period. It was like, all right, right off, right out of the gate. Um, you're doing a principal role. Here we go. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So 
what I feel like I did I answer the question? I, I felt like yeah, I felt like I had a guiding force through and and mm. and that at the the first year, my first fall season in the company, being third cast for Ivan Vasiliev, I was like, okay, like here here it is. Like this is what we're gonna do. This is mm-hmm. um this is how you stay laser focused. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got to make you feel too, like that's the right place for you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you were fighting necessarily against anything. It was seemed like a very seamless transition and clearly something that fits to you. It did. It did at first. Um, you know, I, Alexi was doing a lot of neoclassical ballets at that time, uh, choreographing a lot of neoclassical. And, you know, as much as I love doing that, um, I, contrary to what people thought about me in the past. Um, I am a classically trained dancer for a reason. I want to do classical ballet. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a moment, you know, f- three, four years in where I was like um, doing all these things, being featured a lot by Alexi, really, really thankful. But I was like, all right. So I don't want to be coined as the Alexi contemporary ballet dancer. Right. I, I'm like, now that I've, you know, quote unquote, proven myself, I'd love to, and I've said this in, in a different form, better than, um, hopefully better than, more articulate than this. But um, essentially, <laughs> I would like to transition into doing, um, you know, more classical roles, um, the same status. I was doing mm-hmm. soloist and principal roles, um, but can I like move over and, and do some of these classical roles? And that's where it was a bit difficult and I got some pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you work through that, um, that pushback? I mean, were there... Uh ways that you were able to show that you had this potential and, and a way to um, let the staff know that you could indeed match what you were doing in your neoclassical work? Um, it was very, very difficult. Um, I think what I did first um, was hustle outside of ABT. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thankful to, again, be a part of the, the YGP, the American Grand Prix um, family, um, and network. So I would do as many galas as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I was recognized in terms of, of being able to do classical work more so outside first before it, within ABT. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was not patting myself on the back, but um, at times the only chord ballet dancer doing pas de deux with solos and principles in the, mm-hmm. in the New York galas um, and these other YGP galas around the country, mm-hmm. um, trying like desperately trying to be like, hey, like <laughs> they're casting me. Like, can I, can I do <laughs> right. this at ABT? Yeah. So right. um, I think it was, you know, a mixture of that, a mixture of me like trying ambitiously going into the office and being like, can I learn this at least? Mm-hmm. Can I be in the mm-hmm. room? Can I, can I, can I be in the back of the room? Can I, like, you don't even have to pay me overtime for this hour or that, whatever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. So right. I was very, very ambitious and very hungry to, to, uh, to show that I was able. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did you start to think like, okay, I've shown them this different side of me and now maybe my trajectory is going to change? I think it started about six years ago um, when I started really transitioning into doing more of the classical repertoire. Um, and yeah, it was, it was still difficult. Um, but it started, that's when it kind of started teeing off. Um, I did, I was spread very, very thin, um, because I think it wasn't con- completely on request. I was mm-hmm. also cast, but right. because it was also partially on request, I was 
doing all of the core work. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I was doing featured uh, neoclassical work and then starting to do uh, featured classical work as well as some of the higher uh, principal roles. And, and it was a lot on my plate. It was a lot on my body. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was very, very difficult um, to sustain a, a high level of, of, of uh, performance Mm-hmm. Um, and be proving myself and be trying every day in rehearsal to be proving myself. It was, it was like, I never really got a, a got the second to like breathe and, mm-hmm. and step back and be like, like, okay, can I like not do this rehearsal full out? It was like right. always kick, yeah. flip and, and dip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that's a phrase, but I made it up. <laughs> I think I the like. core members who are doing some of those featured roles here and there are the hardest working people mm-hmm. I feel because so much. Yeah. You never get that like rested feeling before something that's featured. You're like, I was just doing all the other stuff the night before the week before the past yeah. month, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Especially our season at the Metropolitan Opera House. It's just, I mean, everyone is dead in every rank doing their right. own thing, let alone right. if you add on anything else. So. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right. Well, obviously all this hard work and patience and, ambition paid off you know you were just promoted it was it's a big deal regardless um but it was especially you know such a welcome surprise i think of course for you but (laughs) to fans of american ballet theater just to see dancers that they love be rewarded in a time that you know doesn't offer us that much to be joyful about (laughs) so um how is that for you experiencing this in in a really strange off moment to have this sort of great um, pinnacle of your career? I mean, it was definitely a a huge relief. Um, If I'm being blatantly honest, it was, I mean, I've been doing at least for now four years, uh, solace and principal roles almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of more of a title shift than than anything else. Um, I feel more bad for some of my colleagues who, you know, didn't necessarily get to fulfill any of the roles uh, in their rank um mm-hmm. before they're promoted to principal mm-hmm. um a lot of the dancers you know haven't done full-length ballets that are now principals and mm-hmm. and won't get to f- until who knows when right um whereas in my case i've done a, the solo it's not rep. all of the solace right. i've done a lot of the solace rep and and, right. and 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 some full lengths are under my belt as well so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a oh great <laughs> mm-hmm. i can right. a little bit a little bit less work which sounds so funny but it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no, definitely it's true real. don't have to be in in the studio in the in the core work not that mm-hmm. it's bad but just it's a lot yeah right, right. We hear a lot of stories about how people get promoted. They always tell us their stories. Um, but I don't think we've ever heard, or we haven't yet heard, of a COVID promotion. So normally everyone's in the studio and there's always some great story. And then you get to go back to work and you get to dance and you get to have that moment of like, I've been promoted. How did your promotion come about while ABT is on hiatus because of COVID? Yeah, I think actually I was very lucky. I was So I had a project that just finished last week. Um, called Creative Genesis. It's a non. We'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> okay. A non-profit company. Yeah, it's a non-profit company. I, I started. Um, it was first. The idea was to employ um, my colleagues because we weren't being paid, and right. and um, and to also showcase my choreography. So two and two together. Um, I wanted to start a bubble project. Mm-hmm. Long story short, all the protocol happened. Great, we're there. Um, <laughs> so um, we we all quarantined together on Long Beach mm-hmm. Island, New Jersey, um, and rented a house, 
really amazing space there. And there was a, a company meeting, uh, an all staff meeting, which is how it usually happens, but we're in the studio. And right. I, I knew the day before that it was happening that day. Um, but what was lucky was I was, I was surrounded by uh, eight of my colleagues mm-hmm. and friends. I, when they announced it, I was, um, you know, some of them were surprised because not all of them knew it was happening, mm-hmm. but uh, I was at least um, surrounded by them. And we had the rest of the company on the, on the big screen TV. Mm-hmm. So we could see everyone's faces. Uh, and then we went to the studio and danced. So I think so I was get very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was super duper lucky um, to have had that project and to have my colleagues around me. Um, um, hugging me and, and like, and, um, it was funny, the, the class we took right after that, anytime they'd always stop to let me go by myself or purposefully do it. So they thought uh-huh. I was going with them and then they'd uh-huh. be like, Oh, look at the soloist jumping. And uh-huh. like, it was, That's it was cute. fun. Was, we had uh-huh. a good time. That's yeah. Cool. So I don't think it was a normal COVID, uh, promotion if that's a mm-hmm. term <laughs> um, a term now <laughs> yeah it was, it was pretty comparable to to a normal um promotion in a way mm, that's nice yeah. yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about creative genesis project and um how it came about and why it was important mm-hmm. for you to keep creating and working during um during the pandemic rather than you know sit at home and cash your unemployment (laughs) (laughs) yeah well so i i you know i'd been going to we used to own a house on long beach island new jersey me and my family Mm -hmm. and uh now that we don't have that house we we go back or my mom goes back at least every summer for a little bit Mm -hmm. and so it's always been a safe haven for us we went there during 9 11 um it's kind of the escape so the pandemic happened everything was you know going to crap and no one knew it was happening so we we essentially escaped again to, mm-hmm. to Long Beach Island, New Jersey. I was there for months and they have this huge uh, gallery space that also has like classes and pottery and you name it. Um, and, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, I feel like nothing's going on there and no one's there. So why don't I just call them up and see if I can like get ABT to send me a slab of Marley and start right. like wiggling around in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called them and the uh, executive director was so accommodating and was like, bring ballet here. Let's do stuff. Let's make it happen. And long story short, we, we uh, with a team from ABT, um, some of my friends and colleagues, I put together this project where, again, I could employ people and then um, work on this choreography that I've been thinking about making for years and mm-hmm. finally came to fruition. Um, so yeah, that was, it was really, really exciting. And, and, um, we went, we made them, we put them through, through some really, really harsh, uh, protocol to be able to do it, but it was definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we created a 30 minute ballet in seven days somehow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was finished and, and I trusted the dancers so much. Um, so it became very polished. Um, we're used to throwing things together last minute. Um, mm-hmm. so they were, yeah, they were, they were amazing. Um, yeah. And so that, that happened. And then at the same time, um, you know, I thought that during COVID or COVID shouldn't stifle the things that we want to do. And, and, mm-hmm. um, it's just going to obviously change the dynamic and platform of how ballet is presented and how we create. And, and, uh, 
I never really went through a depressed period during this time. I was just like, how can I, how like now, now the challenge is how, mm-hmm. um, and it also, you know, inspired me to start reaching out to, um, do outreach classes and teach. And so I, I actually, I reached out at the same time, um, around when I started this the creative Genesis process, um, to schools in Ghana, um, t- kind of to reconnect to part of my culture and, and just because I wanted to, I was like, this is an amazing opportunity. Um, we can, you know, open my phone and talk to Ghana. Um, That's true, yeah. And yeah. And so I started, uh, teaching for two schools there. Um, and, um, now, uh, I'm so proud to say that I, I was able to award, uh, the director of one of the schools with a scholarship to do the, to do ABT's national training curriculum. That's um, so great. Yeah. 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 And, and like, it's just something that was probably always possible, but never, mm-hmm. I never thought of until mm-hmm. this time. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's just funny how, you know, from this time we've, we've been presented with difficulty, but you know, more, more than figuring it out, there's certain mm-hmm. things that are, that are better and that I know are possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's so great that you can take this time to give back in a way that you probably always wanted to, but just could not, you know, I mean, you're, you were having enough of a time trying to do core solos and principal roles uh, in one night, you know, versus trying to, you know, give back to others about this art form that you love, but now you have that and you took that opportunity. I think that's just so inspiring. I hope so. I'm just, I mean, I'm just glad to be creating and making things and doing stuff. And I know that sounds cliche, but like, really, I'm, I, I, it's funny talking to my friends and colleagues that were a part of Creative Genesis. They're like, you're a, you're a director. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, I feel, (laughs) I feel like I'm just like a a cog in in this thing that we're doing. And and I'm, and again, happy to create and work with my friends. So that's funny yeah. you said that because I was actually going to bring up that you fundraised for that project. You mm-hmm. choreographed. You brought people together. You did the protocols. Like that is very much a directorship like role. Yeah. So how do you see um, Creative Genesis going forward? What ambitions do you have for it in the future? Yeah. So the first ambition is at least for next year. Um, we do a similar thing and have an international ballet festival attached to it, similarly similarly to, you know, Jacob's Pillow mm-hmm. um, and all these other festivals that happen during the summer. I want to make a, a similar thing down on Long Beach Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Creative Genesis itself, it can, I think it's still going to be thriving through um, the fall and the winter as, as a company that does virtual commissions. Um, or gets commissioned for virtual commissions. Mm-hmm. Um, we already have, I'm allowed to speak about two of them, but we have two of them um, mm-hmm. pending right now um, under the banner of Creative Genesis at these two uh, cool locations. Um, and more about that in the near future. Coming soon. If our yeah. listeners wanted to make sure that they could stay up to date on that, how's the best way to track you and see what's going on? Yeah, I would say, you know, we don't, I don't know why I said I, um, I was consulting my team and I was like, let's not make an Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. just cause, I mean, just cause we didn't have a lot of content I thought it would be, I don't know. I, I, I'm bad with technology and I was just annoyed. So I was like, no, let's not do it. Um, so I'd say go to, go to my Instagram. Um, we also have a website. It's just creativegenesis.org. Lucky mm-hmm. that it wasn't taken. 
um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just just keep keep your eyes open. Um, I'll try to do my best. Not the best at digital marketing, but we're making it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely all keep our eyes peeled for that. Um, just as a sort of way to wrap this up, can you tell us um, during this? time in quarantine and dealing with the pandemic, what are some of the things that you feel like you've learned uh, or experienced that you'll be able to to take with you when you're back on stage at American Ballet Theater? Um, I don't know if it's so much as learned. It, I developed um, more of an appreciation for, for resting my body, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a big thing. Um, I've definitely thought about what's important and what, what the, what, what, why I started this. Why did I do this? Um, finding from inception, what, why am I doing ballet? Why am I going on stage? And, and it's for the artistic fulfillment. Um, Mm -hmm. it's for the beauty, it's for art in general. Um, and so I think the, the first time that I, uh, performed since the pandemic started i was up in cat's band um and i did this kind of duet i'll say pas de deux, but it was more of a duet that i choreographed for me and cassandra chenary mm-hmm. um and it was kind of like a spiritually weird semi-contemporary thing um <laughs> that we we're doing but it really felt um not to sound corny but it it felt cosmic to be on stage again. It felt amazing oh, sure. to be staring into my friend's eyes and right. be doing this like organic, yeah, I bet it's amazing. Or- organic wiggles. Um, mm-hmm. And we were also like outside and like mm-hmm. in Catsman in, in a field with like grass and wind and trees. Mm-hmm. So it just like added to the experience. And I was like, this is, you know, even in the proscenium of a, of a, of a theater, um, this is what it should feel like. This is what it right. should be. Um, and of course there will be this and the other thing that will, you know, deter or try to deter from, um, achieving that artistic fulfillment, but this is the goal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be an experience so common for dancers when they return. Like, mm. not that, I mean, it's easy sometimes to take performing for granted just cause you're doing it a lot, mm. but I just feel like I have to feel like this generation of dancers, like we'll never take it for granted again because once it's gone, it's. Yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. We have a lightning yeah. round for you. It's our final cool. little segment of our podcast. We do a lightning round. So we're just going to ask like you a few, at this. No, a few quick no. questions and you just answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Um, first ballet you want to dance when live theater returns. Oh my God. Uh, men on. Mm. <laughs> uh, do you have a, a dream role, something you haven't performed yet? Um, Spartacus. Okay. There's others, but I'm just, I'm answering quickly. <laughs> that's um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and um, degree in men on. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, dream partner. Mm, I already danced with her, Skylar Brandt. Oh, oh nice. we love Skylar. We love her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your um, number one coronavirus survival crutch? Like something like a podcast or music that you listen to? Something that got you through? Um, 
meditation and sage mm. near a beach. <laughs> that sounds nice. so gr- crunchy no. granola. Well, you know, I think everyone's what, on meditation. Everyone's got to do what they got to do to get through. Exactly. That was the, that's the point. I think that Insight Timer app is doing really great these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. that all the time. Thank you so much, Gabe. It was such a pleasure to speak with you and hear all about your story. Congratulations you so again. And we can't wait to see you back on stage at the Met. We hope it's sooner rather than later. Yes. We'll see, but you'll see some other stuff coming anyway. So. We're right. going to be watching. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Gabe. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.